Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the gift of your grace in Christ to us, that you have called us to yourself, that you are, by your spirit, changing us into the image of Christ day by day, grace by grace. We pray that you continue to do that, and may you use this morning as a means to do that further, that um, as we study your word, we are drawn to the beauty of you, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together uh, for our redemption, for our sanctification, for our glorification, but ultimately that you may be known as the Lord. We pray that happen first in our hearts and that we, and that we continue uh, to find opportunities to, to make your name known among those who have not yet committed themselves to Christ as Lord. We pray for all these things in His name. Amen. All right, we are in Exodus 30. Exodus 30. Bless you, by the way. Exodus 30. We're continuing at our rapid pace through the book of Exodus. We've got ten chapters to go on this. We'll be done with Exodus. Ten chapters. It's kind of exciting. Today we're going to be going through verses 1 through 10. I'm in Leviticus. No, we're not in Leviticus. Not yet. I'm not 50 yet. Um, we're in chapter 30 of Exodus, starting verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides, and its horns. You shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two gold, golden rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning, when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So we're introduced to another piece of furniture. We went through all the furniture in chapters 25 through 27, and out of nowhere, here we have another piece. This is the altar of incense, and it will stand in the holy place in front of the veil at the entrance to the holies in the tabernacle. Why wasn't this included with the other furniture? It, some critics argue that this was the work of a later editor. If so... What an odd place to put it. Why not put it with the other furniture? 
Why here? After the ordination of the priests, after the building of the tabernacle, the, the instructions on how to build it, after all the other instruments from uh, all the other pieces of furniture from the inside the Holy of Holies to the Holy Place to the outer court, all that furniture has been given. And here we have this piece that goes in the middle in front of the veil that separates the Holy Place from the Holy of Holies, this incense altar. Why is that there? Why would he structure it that way? What do you think? Maybe the timing is significant. In what way? Okay. Plus the fact that it's um, out of the ordinary, it's not in its right place. Mm -hmm. There's more attention to it than if it were just another piece of furniture. Yes, this, this becomes a, a, a kind of a critical piece. How is, this, how is this used? We talked last week about that eternal offering, that every day there is an offering in the morning and in the evening. It's a similar thing here, isn't it? Morning and evening, there is this incense that's burned after the burnt offering. Same time, same, same whole, whole ritual, really. As the priest comes in to trim the lamps, as he comes in to light them at night, he's to do this incense. Um, incense altars have a long history in the ancient Near East, uh, especially in, in, in Palestine. Several archaeological finds have been made that date back to 2650 B.C. I mean, this is old stuff. So, um, the fact that it's here at this point, I think it draws attention to it. I think that's, I think that's a, good, a good point. Another point may be, is this piece of furniture used in the ordination of the priest? No, it's never mentioned in the ordination ceremony of the priesthood. So, it may be that he's grouping things according to their initial uses. And then here's the incense that has continuing, but it's not used in the ordination of the priest, but it's something they will be doing. So when critics say, well, it's out of place, give, again, I think this points back to uh, that we assume that the writer means to do what he does. We, we give the writer the benefit of the doubt and try to, to, uh, to, to figure out why, rather than just assume, oh, it's four different authors because they use Lord here, God here, Lord God here, and then, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a hypercritical nature that says this doesn't, this is out of place, this was done by a later editor. Yeah? Is Yom Kippur, this is the, this is the piece of furniture that um, the lamb is sacrificed upon? No, there is no uh, sacrifice of an animal, there's no sacrifice of grain, there's no drink offering, and no unauthorized incense on this altar. This is simply incense. Simply incense. The altar that that uh, that we sacrificed or that they sacrificed animals on, we don't anymore. Although I've got a goat, I've got an eye on. Um, we we those those that altar is out in the courtyard, right? That's outside. That's in the outer court where those sacrifices happen. L let's walk through it. What are some of, quickly just on its structure here? What are some of the similarities you see with other articles of furniture we've gone over? What's it? What what what's the size? It's acacia wood. What else? Covered in gold. The golden rings. The golden rings. And what are the golden rings for? 
for carrying it with poles. And what do we talk about why that was their gold? So you can't touch it. Not to be touched by human, <laughs> not to be touched by human hands. I heard that. That means something, doesn't it? The gold, if it's overlaid in gold versus bronze or silver, what does that what does that generally indicate? It's very valuable. It's it, the presence of God. It's holy. Um, okay. What what about its dimensions? What is what's the shape? Square. It's square. What other things do we know that are, are square? Well, it's kind of cubish, but and I'm not. It's kind of a box, but it has some similar square dimensions. It, it's longer though, so more rectangular. So the, 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 the breast piece on the ephod is square. What what else? Stephen's not mentioned in Exodus. That's not till Acts. Um, what what else? <laughs> What else is square in Exodus? <laughs> the altar was square. It had a, a kind of a grating around it. It had. What, what else is square? Dimensions. The tabernacle is rectangular, but one room is cubed. The Holy of Holies. It's a cube, but it is square. Uh, so the idea here is that you have, again, a representation of the Holy of Holies in some form. Not exact, but in some form. Uh, you have on the breast piece a representation of the Holy of Holies. It's square. The altar in the outer court is square. It's, uh, again, a, an overlaid in gold. And this altar of incense is overlaid in gold and kind of square um, in its makeup. Again, you have this, this whole picture of leading to the Holy of Holies. What, what, else, what else is the old, uh, is the material? It's overlaid with gold and a border. Um, what else do we know that's overlaid? Acacia was common wood in the area. Common, common wood overlaid with gold, which was uncommon. Kind of a re- picture of redemption kind of thing. Yeah? I don't think we talked about it whenever we, talked, we uh, discussed building of the tabernacle and the outer courtyard and everything but I've got like a little graphed out drawing here and it's extremely uh, symmetrical mm-hmm. like, like, like you said the most holy the holy of holy places is a perfect cube mm-hmm. but then the outside room the holy place mm-hmm. is like twice the size mm-hmm. so it's like just rectangular mm-hmm. and then the courtyard is actually like the same dimensions just bigger, bigger. Mm-hmm. and then uh, like the altar outside in the courtyard it's like a, almost a perfect cube mm-hmm. it's pretty cool it is it's all well the tabernacle is portable it's all portable um, and that and with the with the rings you have them carrying it by poles so that they're not touching it with their hands which means again what is that similar to to what is that similar the ark another distinction with the ark what 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 else it talks about this, um, this gold border around. Remember that being on the ark as well? Um, what other similarities do you have uh, with, with other furniture? The horns. Where's that from? What? The altar. Think of this. You've got the altar, gold, cube, horns, right? You've got the incense, 
well, let me skip over. You got in the Holy of Holies the Ark with the with the skirt and the and the thing. It's a and then it's the cubed room, and then in the middle you have a piece of furniture that seems to combine both. It's got horns from the altar. It's got the gold skirt from the Ark. It's it's cubed, sort of square, we'll say. It seems to combine both right there in the middle room. Um. All right. The horns of the altar here are a part of the altar itself and not a later addition, like the bronze altar for, sacri for sacrifice. Look at the, the position of the function. Where is the altar to be positioned? It's in the second room, the holy place. Where? In front of the curtain. It seems to me like it's the altar for the priest to use before he enters. It's a daily thing he goes in to burn the incense after the, the burnt offering in the morning, after the burnt offering in the evening. He goes in, he does a couple of things. He trims the lamps, either lights them for the night or trims them from the morning from burning all night. And at that time, he does the incense. So in this holy place, you've got the lamps. Do you remember what we talked about the lamps being a representation of? Of what were the lamps a representation? Golly, prepositions, they kill me. Do you remember? Prayer and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. Well, the light was a representation of the presence of God. Remember the, 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 the constant, in the, it's in a dark place, and yet God's light was there. We talked about it being similar to His Word and those kinds of things. The other thing that's in the holy place was the table. Uh, King James calls it the showbread table. Table of showbread. Just table of bread, really. Um, what, what, uh, what do we talk about the representation of this table. What, what, what did that give a picture of? Having a meal, communion, and God uh, provides the bread through provision. So we have provision and presence of God in this room. Right? Other things, other things are involved. Same room with the incense. So you have the, the, the presence of God here through the lamp, the, the the, the wisdom, the light, whatever, however that's termed. And then you also have the, the, the table of the provision of God. So your presence and provision, and in the middle is this altar of incense. Um, it's very near to the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, there's a curtain between them. And it's right in front of this curtain. Maybe, maybe it's this close because it gets sprinkled during the Day of Atonement. You know, that, that sacrifice of the bull and the goats, it comes in and they, they sprinkle seven times on the horns of this altar as well, the blood from that sacrifice. For the purpose of what, does it say? The sins of the people. The sins of the people, and to do what to it? To make atonement for the altar? Okay. It's making this thing, God calls it something. He determines, he declares it to be what? Most holy. What things do we have in the tabernacle that are most holy? The ark? That room, the Holy of Holies specifically, and that's a resting place for the ark. God's footstool, his throne, different, different ways to term that. This incense altar, what else? The bronze altar is also most holy. Do you see how this is working? 
Um, all right. Kevin? Yes, ma'am. Um, I might have missed a flow gone, but what is the significance of incense? We're going to get there. Okay, good. That's, no, we're going to get there. We haven't we're talked about it yet. This is the first time we've seen it. So it's a wonderful thing that you asked that question. Let me, let me. The bronze altar was the altar of sacrifice. Oh, that was just that was where they, altar. That was the regular altar out in the courtyard. It was overlaid in gold. No, no, no. Bronze. It was bronze. Yes, you're right. But still declared to be most holy. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's bronze. My, my mistake. Just incense. On its horns, which is the, the sprinkling of the blood from the Day of Atonement, they'll, they'll, they'll sprinkle it on the horns of this altar. Nothing is sacrificed on it, but it is consecrated with the blood. And this is where it it's in the holy place. There's three chambers, the holy of holies, the holy place, and then the outer court. And this is in the holy place, right before the veil going into the most holy place. All right. So Aaron the high priest will burn incense on this altar every morning when he trims the lamps in the holy place. He makes them good. They burn down overnight. He fills them with oil and, and, and uh, replaces the wicks. Um, he will also burn uh, on the altar of incense every evening when he lights the lamps. It's to be done twice a day. And we talked about what's not to be done on the altar. Notice that word unauthorized. Not to offer unauthorized or strange incense on this altar. Similar word. Have you heard that word before? Other than conferences out in California? Um, what, what, what is another place that we hear that term? Strange. Nadab and Abihu. They did it wrong and he roasted them. Um, they, they offered strange fire on the altar. And so this is the same kind of thing. This foreign fire. This is the only other place that I, I believe it's, it's used here on this, uh, in relation to this altar. Number, uh, verse 9 says that no sacrifices, animal or grain, are to be performed on this altar. And there's only one exception, and that the blood is put on there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and according to Leviticus 16.19, he will sprinkle some of the blood on the altar several times to cleanse it and set it apart from the impurities of the children of Israel. God characterizes this piece as most holy. Most holy. Most holy object in the outer court, most holy object in, in, the, in the holy place. The inmost room is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. All right. So this got my, my brain going because you see this most holy thing in all three sections of the tabernacle starting with a sacrifice on the most holy altar by means of atonement, you move to this altar of incense, most holy, whatever this incense is, that moves you into, on the day of atonement, the presence of, of God uh, and, and on, on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Revelation 8. If you have your Bible, turn there. Just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. Revelation 8. Verses 3 through 4. And another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. 
and a large amount of incense was given to him in order that he could offer the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense went up before God with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel. Now where is he pulling that? He just said that incense is the prayers of the saints. John just makes stuff up. He's creative, I guess. We give him a little bit of leeway since he was an apostle. He's just making that up? No, he's not making that up. He's pulling it from the Old Testament. Psalm 141. Verses 1 and 2. I call on you, O Yahweh, hasten to me. The covenant name of God. I call on you, O Yahweh, hasten to me. Listen to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my palms as the evening offering. There's a linkage in the tabernacle description, this altar's description throughout the Old Testament, of the burnt offering, then the prayers. The burnt offering, then the incense. They're linked. Because the burnt offering happens, the incense can be lit. Right? It seems clear to me, for what it's worth, that the offerings of incense on the altar, morning by morning, and evening by evening, represented the people's prayers ascending to God in the soothing aroma of the daily sacrifices on the bronze altar. Daily, this was done. As the lamb was slain, in the morning, they go in, they light the incense and trim the lamps. As the lamb was slain in the evening, they go in, they trim the lamps, light the incense. Because the lamb was slain, they were able to move in with the incense. Yes? I'm sure you're going there, but it seems like it would be more of Christ's prayers. After he, was, after he died on the cross, he now sits and intercedes for us that it would be the altar of incense, not the people's prayers. Um, yes and yes. And this is where I'm going. Let's just think this through a little bit. Does it strike you that we have pictured here the prayers of the saints in the midst of the presence of God depicted by the lampstand and the provision of God depicted by the table of bread? Does that strike you that the prayers of the saints are between God's presence and provision? Why would they pray? Thankful for his provision and all of his presence. Right? By means of, because of, well, does it strike you that the incense is in the midst of the burnt offerings, that the incense comes immediately after the morning and evening, evening sacrifice? It is dependent upon that burnt offering happening in the outer court. We don't get an audience with God except by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. He offered himself once, once for the sins of many, and now because of his offering, we can have, well, in him, we have access with, uh, access, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Is that what it says? Yes, I think that's what it says. In him, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Yes, he is, and yet our prayers 
are real prayers that we are to offer. Okay. That's okay. It's probably true then. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, the incense uh, go up to God um, as uh, the, like our prayers are the incense of God. And um, when judgment comes, it's going to be that fiery incense that's going to be cast back down to earth. Mm. So it's like our prayers. Are you talking about Revelation 8? It immediately goes into judgment after the prayers. How long, O Lord, and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, does it strike you that there are elements of the most holy in the outer court, the altar of sacrifice, the holy place, the altar of incense, and the entire holy of holies where the Ark of Covenant rests? Does that strike you as significant? This is why I, I agree with you in part. Well, I agree with you and add more. Um, Christ does intercede for us. Romans 8, uh, 34, Hebrews 7, 24, a high priest who ever lives to intercede for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That whole passage in Romans 8 again. Here's the thing that hit me about this whole deal. When we pray, we are participating in a most special um, holy communion between the three persons of the Trinity. By means of the sacrifice of Christ, He now intercedes for us to the Father. By means of Him sending His Spirit upon His ascension, the Spirit intercedes for us with the Father. And yet He also invites us to participate in that incense, to participate in that communion of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Does that make sense to you? When we pray, we are praying because of what Jesus has done and the power of the Spirit to the Father. That's prayer. It's communion in a very intimate way with each person of the Trinity. Do you know that's possible? You can have fellowship distinctly with the persons. John Owen wrote a whole book on it called Communion with God. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. Somebody took it and made it in modern English called Communion with God. Modern English. It's, very, it's a great book. Highly recommend it. Um, but that's what's going on here. Because of what Jesus has done, we're never apart from the presence, of, uh, the presence and the provision of God. In Him we have boldness and access with confidence in Him. When we pray, we're praying because of the work of Christ, through the power of the Spirit, to the Father who is over all and through all and in all. Our prayers mean something because they're taking part in that communion between Father, Son, and Spirit. We're participating in that. That sounds really arrogant to me. Does that sound like fantastical to you? Participating in the communion in the nature of God? It's supernatural, that's right. How little we prize that amazing privilege. Maybe that's why we don't do it as, as much as we should. It's because we know when, when we're really praying that our heart's going to be really revealed as well. Which is what he wants anyway. No, we don't. I remember Philip saying the most dangerous prayer you can pray is uh, like David, search me, O oh God. Yeah. 
All of this one, declare me innocent of hidden faults. What? They're all there. I need that declaration first, then let's deal with them. It's a very vulnerable place to be, but God made himself vulnerable to us. Did he not? He didn't have to reveal himself at all. He chose to reveal himself. He chose to put himself out there. He chose to step into the world that is full of evil and sin and wickedness and take it upon himself. That's pretty revealing. And he expects us to be uh, revealing to him so that he can do the work that he is, that he is uh, determined to do. When you pray, do you pray with purpose from the heart? Christ purchased that privilege for you with his own blood. The older I get, and it's uh, getting older, uh, the older I get, the more convicted I am that to be a Christian is to be a man or woman of prayer. That's, that's our calling. Um, be about your father's business in prayer, pouring out from a broken and contrite heart of gratitude. There is no shortcut to killing sin. There is no shortcut to uh, gaining boldness and wisdom and uh, soul winning, as Spurgeon called it. There is no shortcut to growing, uh, building up the body in love. There's no shortcut to that. The hard work is done in prayer. And it's prayer from knowledge of word that's been poured into you. And a heart that is redeemed and conformed and transformed by the Spirit. That's a constant work. Is that in the New Testament? Isn't it? I don't remember that in the New Testament. Yeah, I remember it was Okay. Okay. Um, the picture here is one of diligent morning and evening sacrifice of prayer. Every day that incense is burned, morning and evening. That's the picture of where the Christian should be in prayer. Uh, it's amazing to me, the great passage on the armor of God in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to take the sword of the Spirit, right? Remember that last one? Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He doesn't then say to use it in your next online Facebook debate. You get the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the next statement he makes is praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication... And in that same context, he moves on and says, keep alert with all perseverance, morning, evening, diligently, consistently, without fail. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Notice how other-oriented that is. Our memorization and meditation of the Word informs and feeds our prayers. So you've got, you, you got to get in the Word. To, to, to be effective in prayer, you've got to be in the Word. But we have to pray. It's temple work. Prayer is temple work. As a nation of priests, we're, we have duties. It's temple work. Don't neglect this duty and delight. When you pray, don't pray like heathens, heathens. My grandmother used to say, start out, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First two 
petitions, God will be glorified before we even get to give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, as we also forgive our debtors, right? Those are the things that we should be about, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for our hearts to be more conformed to His image. It's a sweet aroma to God, our prayers, because of the work of Christ. And it's an intimate communion with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as we engage in it. John Piper calls it the theater of the heart, where we see the the, the blood of the Son, the fellowship of the Spirit, and and the love of God coming together in that one moment as we're praying, petitioning God. Yes. Um, Phil's been posting those the old stuff mm-hmm. on Twitter, and uh, one of them was I don't know if it was live or even exactly what it said, but that people are concerned about having the best everything, house, car, or whatever, mm-hmm. except for yourselves. You know, we're not we don't uh, pay attention on how to purify, cleanse ourselves. We're too focused on how to get the best other stuff. Mm-hmm. And the issues with yourself. So the prayer needs to be focused on. Heart issues. Yeah, your best life. Mm. Just with a completely different meaning. <laughs> mm. Can you just real quickly say, um, I know you said this before, but how Martin Luther would pray? Oh. Well, there's a book um, that he wrote to his barber. It was a long letter. It's a, we call it a book. It's now a children's book by R.C. Paul. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but a little marketing plug there for Ligonier Ministries. Um, There there is a a, a book that he wrote, or a a long letter, where he talked about how, you know, Luther prayed for like 14 hours a day or something like that. I don't know. Um, One time his assistant said, look, Dr. Luther, we have all this stuff to do. We've got to get moving. He says, oh, then I shall pray all the more. We'll never get it done. You know, that, that was his view on prayer. He was always praying. And so he, his barber said, how do you pray that long? I, I get lost. My mind just goes, how do you pray that long? He says, well, I start uh, in, uh, in the Ten Commandments. And I use them as bullet points. I'm paraphrasing, of course, because he, he talked in German, so that's not going to help. Um, he used them as bullet points uh, as launching off into his prayer. Um, you shall know the gods before me. God, forgive me for the times that I've worshipped things other than you and made a god out of something other than you. You know, he'd go off on that and, and, and name specific things. That God. Uh, no, uh, no carved image, um, uh, heaven, earth, or, or the water under the earth. He'd talk about things that he's prized, things that are material that he's prized. But he'd use each of them as bullet points. He says, when I'm done with that, I go to the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> he'd go through, blessed are the pure in heart. I don't have a pure heart. I need to be blessed. I want to see you. You know, he, he he used them as bullet points. This is a man who took up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and was diligent in prayer and supplication. That's how he did it. That's how he used the Bible as his basically his outline for his prayers. Uh, pick a passage. I, I love working off of Paul's prayers. Whenever I'm praying, I use I, I plagiarize Paul a lot, and and launch off of that those images. Um, uh, the, the, the language that he uses into, into my own. It's a helpful thing. It orients your heart. It helps you memorize the Bible. And um, it's, you, you know you're praying the right stuff. Yeah, and that's the whole thing about Nahab and Abihu. They just came in and offered up whatever incense they, they thought. You know, I don't know what it was exactly, but it wasn't right. And we 
we've been given instruction by God on who God is and what he desires and what we should desire in him. So if we just prayer, I mean, if we just pray apart from scripture, then you don't know. Right. I mean, if you're, pray- if you're praying in the name of Jesus, according to the will of God, it's going to be based on the Bible. Yeah. It's going to be based on what Scripture says, not our own. Lord, I know you want me to have this car. You know, that's never going to be a... But I think it also the way the, the tabernacle was set up, you've got to make sure you're in Christ mm-hmm. before you start presuming on the grace of God to pray. Yeah. It starts with it starts with the sacrifice of Christ. That, the, the term prayer, mm-hmm. and some people that throw around that term have no evidence in their life of, of being followers of Christ. Yeah, the only prayer that God will hear at that point is a prayer of repentance. Yeah. Start with the altar, the the altar of sacrifice. Meet Christ there at the cross, and then and then you move into prayers that are sweet smelling aroma, as it's an acceptable. The, the idea of acceptance of the prayers of God. Where's that from? Where's what? The sweet-smelling aroma. Oh, well, any of these sacrifices will be, that, that's how they end, especially in Leviticus. They'll end with, and, and so it will be a sweet aroma to the oh, Lord, okay. or sweet, that, that kind of thing. The incense also is, is termed that way. Um, so, all right. Any other comments, questions, concerns, accusations of heresy? All right, let's pray. What are the odds? Father, it is an overwhelming thing to think that because of what Jesus has done, you have granted us access to your very throne. And that even in this moment, as we're gathered here praying to you, there is a work going on that Christ is interceding for us, that your Spirit is interceding for us. And Father, it also says in your word that he intercedes through us. We want to do this rightly. We want to pray authorized prayers from a heart that is redeemed in Christ, from a heart that desires to obey your law, from a heart that wants to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Too often, Father, we neglect this priestly duty that you've given us of prayer. It's a duty and not a delight. And so we ask for hearts that hunger for your presence, hunger to share in that communion between you and the Son and the Spirit. What an awesome privilege it is. Forgive us of our neglect Give us hearts that desire to be in the midst of you in prayer. Thank you for your people that you have drawn to yourself. I pray that you continue to build us up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God. I pray that you would give us hearts that are upright that praise you from upright hearts. Make us willing in the day of your power, we pray. It's in Christ's name. Amen.